Well, good morning, everybody. So great to see you. Thank you for coming out on a holiday weekend, man. You could be at the beach, at the lake, at the... Man, you decided, now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go spend my holiday weekend serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, gathering with the church. Thank you all for being here. Um, before I jump into the message, I, I want to just uh, remind you again about our Who's Your One series coming up. This is a big deal in the life of our church. Several months ago, I said to you, if we have a blind spot as a church, it's reaching out to unbelievers and bringing Jesus into the conversation as individuals. We're really good at doing that, uh, at, you know, bringing people to church, and we want you to do that. But think of how it would change the kingdom and change this church if we all became aware of one person that God wanted us because we have influence to bring Jesus into that conversation. So here's what it's going to look like. Um, Starting on September 24th, we're going to have what we're calling Get Ready Week. So we're going to have uh, services on Sunday morning, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And I'm asking you to commit to every one of those services, but not just for the Get Ready Week. We called it Get Ready Week because that week is about us getting ready to go find our one. That week is about us asking God, show me who that person is. God, who is the one that you want to bring into the kingdom, that you want to make your child through my efforts of reaching out to that one person. And we're gonna get ready. Then, for three weeks after that, we're gonna talk about how do we uh, uh, do that? How do we bring Jesus into the conversation? How do we identify one? We're gonna be praying. And then on October the 15th, I'm gonna preach a very intentional gospel message for you to bring your one on that day. Now, you can bring them anytime during that, obviously. But on October the 15th, we're going to have a very intentional gospel salvation message. So we're going to get ready. Then for three weeks, man, we are going to get after finding our one. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Start praying now. God, who's my one? Start looking for that person. Ask God to show you. And I also want you to commit to four Sundays and four evenings Let me ask you a question. Would a little bit of your time, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're talking about a little bit of time. Would you commit a little bit of your time for this one person God has for you to come to know the Lord Jesus, avoid eternity in hell just because you committed to be faithful to reaching out to that one in Jesus' name and getting them here. Make the commitment. All right, we're in week five of our series called This We Believe. Now, This We Believe is basically a series on Bible doctrine. Uh, When I say Bible doctrine, I mean kind of gathering information from the truth of God's word about a particular subject. 
then uh, information that we gather from the truth of God's word forms what we call a Bible doctrine. And there are Bible doctrines about all kinds of things. Well, we've studied six specific uh, doctrines and theologians have been doing this from the very, very beginning of the church. And I love the fact that over centuries, those doctrinal beliefs have not changed. You know why? The truth of God's word does not change. Um, so why should we even be concerned about studying Bible doctrine. Well, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Seems to me like that day is here. And so it's so important that we know what we believe and then order our lives accordingly. So, so far we have studied the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Bible. And today we're going to study the doctrine of human beings. Um, you know, it's really important to know who we are, why we exist. Because we can never be who God made us to be. We can never fulfill God's purpose for our lives if we don't know who we are. We live in a very uh, complicated world that constantly lies to us about who we are and who we're supposed to be. So we believe lies like, well, I am what I have. And the more I have, the more value I have. But that's not true. We live in a world that says we are what other people think we are. And so we can chase after that, man, and just spend our lives trying to please other people. But that's a lie, and that'll never, ever get us to where we need to be. You know, at an alarming rate, Teenagers, especially girls, struggle with mental health issues because they are trying to be who and what someone else says they should be. I mean, it's epidemic almost because of the impact of social media has on these young girls. So their suicide rates are going out the roof and all kinds of issues about my own identity because I so desperately want to be who other people think I should be. I saw a really interesting interview uh, with J.K. Rawlings, you know, the, the lady who wrote all the Harry Potter books. Um, and she said this, I thought this was amazing. She said she intentionally made the Harry Potter character someone who was searching for identity because so many teenagers today don't know who they are. So uh, in the Harry Potter story, Harry's always trying to figure out who he is. In fact, when uh, uh, Hagrid finds him first, Harry doesn't know who he is. And Hagrid says, you don't know, do you? You see, we study the doctrine of human beings so we can know who God says we are 
and so we can live the life he created us to live. Uh, Psalm 8 verse 3 says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are people that you should think about them? Mere mortals that you should care for them. I mean, just let that sink in a minute. You, you, you think about the expanse of the universe and the grandeur of it. The same God who made that with his words, formed it with his fingers, died for you. That's a big deal, man. So what is it we need to know about ourselves? Here's the first thing, write this down. We are created by God as unique individuals. So first God created Adam, Genesis 2, 7 says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living person. God created Adam from dirt. I mean, the lowest part of his creation. Then gave him life, the highest part of his creation. We were just dirt. The lowest, least beautiful, most insignificant part of God's creation. Then God makes us the pinnacle of his creation. You know, when I just was reading through that uh, earlier this week, I thought, wow, my, my mind just starts spinning because I think, you know, God scoops up some dirt. Just, just dust. And before he breathes into it life, I just thought, <laughs> you know, it seems to me when Jesus starts messing with dirt, something big always happens. He left the splendor of glory and became a little baby in a manger sitting on a bunch of dirt. Later on in his ministry, there was a woman who caught, was caught in the very act of adultery and the, and the Pharisees brought her to Jesus, threw her down in the dirt. And Jesus bends down and starts writing in the dirt. A little later in his ministry, there was a blind man and Jesus just spits in the dirt, puts it on his eyes and the blind man saw. It was dirt that held the cross. And when they murdered the Lord Jesus, the King of glory, his blood ran down that cross into the dirt. And I just wonder, <laughs> God scoops up the dirt. And before he blows into it the breath of life, he knows what it'll cost. But because he loves us, 
and Adam became a living being. Hmm. First God makes Adam, then he makes Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while the man slept, the, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. So God creates human beings. But God didn't just create us as human beings. He created us as unique individual with purpose and meaning. Psalm 139, 14 says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You get that, right? I mean, there's just one you. You are unique. You are different from all other 8 billion people on the planet. No one else has your fingertip. No one else has your personality. No one else has, made, has your DNA makeup. Only you, God made you that way. Not only from everybody who's now living, but from everybody who has ever lived, God made you personally. That makes you valuable. You're one of a kind. God created me and you and everyone with purpose, not just to exist, but with purpose. So there are a few things God created us uh, for. God created us for uh, his glory. Uh, Isaiah 43, seven says, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. You know, God wants our very existence to bring glory and majesty to his name because of the attention he gave us. It says something about the very nature of God who, who creates everything, but then individually with purpose forms you and shapes you and breathes in you the breath of life. Mm. God wants it all to bring glory to him. God created us for his glory, but God created us with certain characteristics. God created us with um, a body, right? Not only just a body, but a gender-specific body. Genesis 1:27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So for the first time in human history, there's this whole thing going on, this whole transgender thing that says, I'm not who God made me to be. I saw uh, this past week in Texas where the Texas, Texas state legislature passed all kinds of laws really clamping down on that where um, you can't get uh, sex change surgery, you, you can't get all those hormone altering drugs, and any physician uh, that gives them anyway will be charged with a crime. And I just thought, God bless Texas. Now here's the thing. 
Texas just affirmed what God's word had already said. And I'll be honest with you, man, it, it breaks my heart. When you talk to young people who are caught up in that, it makes me so sad. It just breaks my heart because denying who we are is saying God did something wrong. But even worse, it denies the person the very blessing of a life God wants to give them. They are intentionally saying, God, don't bless me. God, you created me for a purpose. I don't want it. By the way, I think this is, in this world, in this day and time, and everything that's going on in our world in regard to the whole um, LGBTQ agenda, it is so important that we, as God's church, understand that in our effort to show the love of God to that community, we must never compromise the truth of God because ultimately it's the truth of God that is their hope. I don't know why I'm chasing that rabbit. Let's go, let's go off there. God made us with a body. That's how I got there. So God created us with a body, but God didn't just create us with a body. God created us with flesh. So what's the difference between flesh and a body? Flesh is a, uh, uh, not a material thing in the Bible. Flesh is the capacity for sin, uh, for the weakness of our own flesh to give in to sin. So we are made with flesh that Satan tempts to disobey God because it's our flesh that desires things that are contrary to what the Spirit of God wants for us. So we have a body, we have flesh, that thing. We have a soul. A soul is the core of who we are. That's the eternal part of us. Our soul will exist forever somewhere. We have a spirit. That's the capacity for relationship with God. We have a heart, not just a physical heart. So when we say, um, when I say, Jenny, I love you with all my heart, I don't mean that muscle that's in the center of my chest, right? I mean the emotional center of who I am. That, that's our heart. We have a mind that gives us the ability to think and reason and discern and make judgment. We have a conscience which is kind of our moral guide, but we have to understand this about our conscience. Our conscience is fallible. So our conscience is not the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit only indwells believers, and the Holy Spirit then guides us as believers into all truth. But everybody is created with a conscience, this kind of innate um, understanding of that's right and that's wrong. Nobody has to tell us that murder and rape and all those horrible things that happen on planet Earth are wrong. We, we're kind of born with a conscience. God gave us that. But we have to understand that conscience is fallible and it can really be deadened by sin. First Timothy 4 says, now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Uh, you, re you read that, you go, 
that deserves a whoa. I mean, you get that, right? So much of the philosophy of this world, so much of the things that we go, that's so crazy. It's demonic. I mean, you ask, how in the world could there be that kind of influence all over the world by, from such a small group of people? It's demonic. Verse 2 says, these people are hypocrites and liars. Now look, and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with, with thanks and by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it uh, with thanks, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. So our consciences, some translations say can be seared, this translation said they can be deadened. So that means a person can do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing so much that it no longer does that thing in their conscience where they go, that's wrong. They just stop believing it's wrong. That's why you know people, I know people, and you look at their lives and you go, how could they do that? because their consciences have been deadened and they don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them into all truth. So uh, we're created with those things. We're also created to uh, some things. We're created to work and labor. I mean, now, now you're going, what? <laughs> what, God created me to work? Yeah. But that's something we have always understood about ourselves as human beings. In fact, um, in 1882, uh, the U.S. Congress made tomorrow Labor Day um, to celebrate the workers in America. And because there's something about work that is honorable. Work is an honorable thing and should reflect who we are in Christ. Colossians 3.23 says... Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. God created us to work. Now, some people uh, from a kind of theological standpoint have this terribly mistaken idea that work was a result of sin, that work was a result of the fall of mankind before the fall, Adam and Eve didn't work. That, that's not true. Uh, Genesis 1.27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I, give, I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he said, it is very good. So from the very, very beginning, Adam and Eve were to work, managing God's creation. But then they willingly sin against God. 
and sin broke this world. And it changed the effect of work and the effect of childbearing. So part of the fallout for sin, here's what God said, Genesis 3:16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you and your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. But, the, but by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. Now, this is really important to understand. Work is something God made us to do, and it is honorable. It reflects who God is. Before the fall, there was work. After the fall, there was work, but it was different. You see, Adam was not cursed with work, but because of sin, the work of Adam was cursed. Eve was not cursed with childbirth, but because of sin, childbirth came with all kinds of complications and pain. Work is an honorable thing and fulfills part of the reason God made us. Um, Work will even be a part of heaven. Now you're going, what? I mean, I was looking forward to heaven so I don't have to work anymore. No, I mean, Revelation 22 says, this is a great picture of heaven. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. And in that eternal life in heaven, this picture clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's Jesus, in the middle of the street on either side of the river, there was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it. And look at this now. And his servants shall serve him. There's work to do. We're going to be serving the Lord Jesus in heaven. We don't know what it is, but just imagine what being able to serve Jesus without the curse of sin, without any restrictions, fully glorifying the Lord Jesus, that is going to be a great thing. That's part of what God made us for. So God made us to work and to labor, but also we're created to worship and rest. So in Genesis 2 verse 1, so the creations of the heaven and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his, the work of his creation. Look at this. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, why, why did God, re- God doesn't get tired? I mean, 
Why would God rest? God rested to set an example for us. In fact, and you get this picture all through the scripture, there's kind of a rhythm that's supposed to be to our life. Six and one, six and one, six and one, six and one. We work six days and rest one and worship on that day. And so even in the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, one of the Ten Commandments is on the Sabbath, keep it holy. That's the day we worship God. And that's the day we rest from work because that's the example God set for us because we don't want to just work every day. We need to stop one day, rest, worship. And that was the Sabbath, the seventh day. Then uh, the apostles, after the resurrection, that became the first day of the week, Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So maybe that, okay, so what do rest and worship have to do with each other? This is really important. Track with me here, pay attention. In the Bible, rest isn't just lack of work. Rest is a picture of God's presence in heaven. Hebrews 4, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. So instead of entering to his rest, entering into heaven, instead of that, instead of rest, it's eternal torment in hell. For this good news, that's the gospel, that God has prepared this rest, that's heaven, has been announced to us just as it was to them. Uh, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger... I took a note, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. So, one day a week, we worship and rest, and it's a reminder of what eternity will be in God's presence, worshiping him, serving him, without the curse of sin. It's a big deal. So we are also this, um, write this down, we are created in, this is, this is huge, we are created in God's image. Genesis 1:27 says, so God created human beings in his image. Uh, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Um, every person is born with two things. A any person that's ever born on planet Earth is born with two things. We are born with the stamp of God, the image of God on us. We call it the Imago Dei. Every person who is ever born is born with the image of God stamped on them. We are also born with the thumbprint of Adam. So we are born with the image of God. We are created in the image of God, but we are also created in a sin nature, a sinful state. Re regardless of how good or how bad uh, believers or unbelievers alike bear the image of God and the thumbprint of Adam. James gives us a real clear picture of this in James chapter 3 verse 7. 
Uh, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. Boy, that's the truth. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So, you know, we, <laughs> you, you know that about your own tongue, right? I mean, how different would your life be if you never said anything you shouldn't say? Whoa. Tell you one thing, man. I'd have had a whole lot better marriage if I could learn to keep my mouth shut. But that same tongue can bless people. And this is a little insight into that little phrase. And curse people made in the image of God. So there's no one. Even the person you're ready to curse is still made in the image of God. We're, we're stamped with that. And, and you know, we really intuitively know it, even if people don't acknowledge it. I mean, even the staunchest biologist or zoologist doesn't look at their own baby as just another mammal, right? You look at this baby as a creation that reflects, stamped with the image of God. You know, you know if all the Bible told us about ourselves is that we were made to glorify God. That'd be pretty amazing. But but it wouldn't distinguish us from any of the rest of God's creation. So Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So we would just be in that category. But God made us very different because we're not just physical creations. We love, we hate, we build, we create, we paint, we write songs, we sing those songs, we wonder, we think, we process information. All of that reflects the image of God in us. Our desire for relationships is a reflection of the perfect relational Godhead of the Trinity. We we are made to reflect the relationship of God. Now this is huge. If you really wanna know yourself better, get to know God better. Because we are made in the image of God, therefore the more we understand God, the more we understand ourselves. But there's a problem. Here's another thing about human beings, write this down. Here's the problem. We are broken by sin. Now, we should think of sin in two ways. We are born in the state of sin when when Adam and Eve sinned against God, it, it was a representation of all the human race who would ever be born. We would have done the same thing. And it infected us all the way down to our DNA. That's why there's disease. That's why there's death. That's why there's murder. That's why there's all those things that are wrong with this world. We are born in that, with that. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Psalm 51.5 says, David was talking about this. He said, for I was born a sinner. 
Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So we should think about sin in that way, that we are born just corrupted, broken by sin. We're not born purer than sin. We are born within sin. But we should also think of sin in a way that we sin personally. So Romans 3.23 says, for everyone is sin, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Isaiah 53.6, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. So we are both born in sin by our nature. We are sinful, but then we also act in sin. But because Jesus took our sin, (laughs) gave us new life, gave us a new identity, I can now know the God whose image I bear. Colossians 3.10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Then one day when we get to heaven, we then will have a glorified body free from sin, not corrupted by sin, and we will be free to know God in all of his glory because we can be like him, free from sin without the stain of sin infecting everything about us, everything we think, everything we do. Here's another thing about human beings. We are loved by God. The most familiar verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life I love this verse 1 John 4 10 this is real love not that we love God why wouldn't we but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins if you just stop And just let the truth of that verse sink in. I promise you, it'll overwhelm you to think what it cost God to love me. And he loves me anyway. There's another thing about human beings. We are recipients of God's grace. You know, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. There's, it's, it's impossible. God just gave it to us. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So no one can boast about it. It's God's grace that saves us. It's also God's grace that sustains us until the day he comes back. Titus 2 says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That's huge. When we do that, life gets better every time, zero exceptions. We've been instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope 
to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He's coming back. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Hmm. You know, one of the things I look forward to about heaven is to really understand the depths of God's grace. To really understand what Jesus did and who I really was and what an incredible act of love and grace that was. We, we can't get all of that now. We can believe and we have faith that that's true. But one day, you know, the Bible says now we know in part, then we're going to know fully. Wow. One more thing about humans. We are made for community. First Peter 2, 7 says, yes, I want you to, before we read this text, I want, I want you to just think about, this is who God says you are. Yes, you who trust him, recognize the honor God has given, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone and he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. Here's who we are. For you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. I mean, do you see your value and your identity there? As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. We are God's people. And God made us for all those things we just talked about, but he also made us for each other. We need the community of the church. We need the relationships that are centered in Jesus Christ. We are God's people and we need each other. Now you know that. That's why you're here right now. But we live in a world that lies to people about what they need and where to find community. You know, I jump up and down, harp about this three or four times a year, about all this travel stuff with kids, and you take them out of church, and you spend a gazillion dollars you don't really have, and, and doing things that'll never last and won't matter. And I used to think that was all about the kids, but I, I've changed my mind about that. I think it's way more about the parents. And I think it's about parents traveling together every weekend, sitting for hours watching ball games that they don't really care about. It's not going to have much of an impact on a kid's life. But they're forming moms. It's way more about that, I think, than about a ball game or a dance recital or whatever it may be. But here's the problem. It's a cheap counterfeit 
for what God wants for you. It's never gonna do anything to strengthen your relationship with God for you to understand what your life is about. It's so sad that so many of God's people miss the community of the body of Christ and what that can mean in their lives for a cheap substitute. So, we need community in the church in two ways. What we're doing right now, but you also need to get in a group because in a group, things happen that can't happen in here. And in a group, you're gonna get to know people. And in a group, you're gonna talk about God's word. You're gonna pray for each other. You're gonna walk with each other through hard things. You're gonna walk with each other through joyful things. So you have an opportunity to sign up now because God created you for community. Don't accept the cheap substitute. Get the real deal of the fellowship of the body of Christ centered in the Lord Jesus that bond you together in his grace and love and it will never go away. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you created us. What a gift of life you've given us. Thank you, God, for church where we live out all these things you command us to do and where we get all these needs met that we have because we live in a broken world. Father, I just pray for everyone here right now that you will just bury this deep in their heart, God, that you love them. They are your children, a royal people, And they have great value because it is you where we find our identity. And we pray in the good name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.